You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. From the newsroom at Eater, I'm Amanda Clute. And I'm Daniel Janine. And this is Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. With a little help from the biggest names in the world of food and the journalists here at Eater, we try to understand what's happening right now in kitchens, restaurants, and dining rooms around the world. Today on the show, uh, coronavirus. Daniel, we can't really talk about anything else. No. What else is there? What else is there right now? Yeah. Um, Coronavirus has popped up with varying degrees of prominence in many of our major hubs in this country. Yeah, we've talked about it a little bit here before in regards to people avoiding Chinatowns. uh, And we talked about the effect on the Hong Kong restaurant scene. But now that it's in the U.S. and the U.K., where we have our eater sites, we figured it would be a good time to check in on the effect right now. Mm -hmm. So we are going to talk to Gabe Guarente in Seattle, which is one of the epicenters in the U.S. right now. We're talking to Serena Dye in New York City, where we've had a huge uptick in cases. Um, But really, there's so much going on around the country. Um, If you read all across Eater, Vegas buffets are closing. A bunch of casino restaurants in Vegas are just outright closing. Same thing with restaurants in Seattle, New York, and London. No more samples at Costco. Yeah. Costco is actually doing really well right now. People are just raiding the Costcos. Darden Restaurant Group is now providing sick leave. Mm-hmm. It's crazy that it took this for them to do that, um, but you're seeing that in a lot of companies around the country, which is nuts. But got to incentivize. It's a silver lining. I don't know. Uh, we've seen events canceled across the country. Uh, Daniel and I spoke to our Austin editor Nadia earlier this week, and she was saying that the Loss of revenue for restaurants in Austin because of the cancellation of South by Southwest is just immense. Yeah. Um, so many hotels, so many restaurants bank on this one, this two-week period for their revenues for the entire year. So they're all, even though coronavirus hasn't really come to Austin in a major, major way as of this recording, it, they are reeling from this and trying to find ways to get people to... Come out to restaurants and bars to spend the money to make up for this big loss. Yeah, no matter what, this next few months or however long this lasts is going to be a a tough time for a lot of restaurants mm-hmm. and a lot of food service. Anything that really touches food service, anything that really touches anything where large people, large groups of people congregate. Yeah, and any small business without a safety net. Yeah, you know, like if even if business is down just 20% for some of these businesses, they are completely screwed. So it will be interesting to see how they ride out the storm. I think it'll be interesting to see how governments come to help Mm -hmm. if they do it all. Um, And I think this is, you know, as you all know, it's a super fluid situation. Yeah. So after we talk to Gabe and Serena, we are going to lighten it up a little bit and get into some stories, Mm -hmm. including stealing uh, from restaurants. Stealing from restaurants. Good story. Um, It's a super Brooklyn thing of of a building 
oh, it's just great. I'll just leave it at that. It's it's a Brooklyn and Dubai story. Brooklyn so and Dubai. Really, Sorry. Really. Because we're a national podcast, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. international mm-hmm. even. And we're going to talk to our special correspondent, Megan McCarran, about why wine bars are so amazing in Paris and shit here on the other side of the Atlantic. As something to look forward to for the summer. <laughs> If you like the show, please remember to rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. Uh, please send us any feedback or questions to digest at eater.com. And please tell a friend about the show if you like it. And here is Gabe Orente of Eater Seattle. Seattle is one of the epicenters of the COVID-19 outbreaks here in the United States. So we have Gabe Guarente, our Seattle editor, on the line to talk about how it's affecting the restaurant scene. Hello, Gabe. Hello. So it sounds like, yes, good morning. Uh, It sounds like things are pretty intense over in Seattle. I know you had a Starbucks close. I know people are probably pretty freaked out. Can you tell us what's going on on the ground? Yeah, things have kind of continued to go downhill over the last, I would say, two weeks. Um, It really started getting bad um, the weekend of March 1st when the first uh, U.S. deaths from the coronavirus were announced in a um, neighborhood called Kirkland, um, and they were tied to a nursing home here. Um, After that, um, businesses across the city saw a steep drop in business, and um, the chefs and restaurants I've talked to um, in neighborhoods that rely um, on tourism or uh, businesses that are, of course, open during the day um, saw sales drop as much as 70% wow. um, within a week's time. Oh my God. Um, and part of that is tied to, um, of course, fear, but also that um, the local authorities were understandably trying to uh, mitigate the health risks across the community. And so they advised um, some of our larger companies, um, such as Amazon and Microsoft, to tell their employees that if they could do work from home, that they should. Um, And so a lot of places that relied on the uh, lunchtime business, especially downtown, Mm. um, really were um, some of the first to close temporarily. Um, Just uh, this past weekend, a group of five restaurants, one in Pike Place and a couple in Belltown and downtown, um, announced that they're just going to close through the month of March. Wow. Um, Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the situation here. It's It doesn't seem to be getting much better. Um, of course, uh, business is continuing as usual. There are a lot of pushback from locals here, um, from some of the national headlines about Seattle um, that called it a ghost town. Um <laughs> It's not a ghost town. People are trying their best to uh, live life as as um, normally as they can, um, but take you know uh, understandable precautions if you are in an at-risk group um, over sixty or have underlying health conditions. Uh, local authorities have told those people to try to avoid large groups, um, and so you know there has been discussion here of maybe more mandatory measures being taken. But for now, I think a lot of it is just more recommendations. Uh, Even that has had a large impact on the restaurant world. And chefs say that if it goes on much longer, uh, there might be permanent impacts. 
that uh, will be really difficult to recover. They're talking sort of mass closings of restaurants. Can you talk a little bit about the shellfish industry and the gooey duck industry? Uh, Yes, I can. Um, So Washington exports a lot of gooey duck, uh, mainly to China. Um, And there are major companies in the state um, that rely on exports uh, for their entire business. Um, Taylor Shellfish may be the most well-known, at least locally. And um, about um, 50% of their exports uh, were affected by uh, the gooey duck um, problem here because at the at the end of January, around the Lunar New Year, that's mm-hmm. where they usually see a spike in business from China, and exports uh, completely stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, uh, that company and others uh, have seen sales drop uh, precipitously, and they may not recover anytime soon. Um, so Taylor Shellfish, uh, I spoke with a someone there last week. And they said their sales team is trying to find more um, other markets for gooey duck, which might be um, uh, unfamiliar for those outside the Pacific Northwest area. I'm not sure how many people know it, let's say, on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're looking for new markets uh, in the United States or anywhere else um, to kind of make up for this uh, huge drop in sales. And I think in your reporting, you found out that they had to lay off about 40 people temporarily. They halted 401k benefits. So they're losing about a million dollars yeah. in revenue a month. Yes. That's wild. Yes, that's what they told me. Yeah. Um, and other companies, too, um, might even see, you know, uh, even worse uh, impacts because uh, from what uh, the rep at Taylor told me, at least they do have um, other sales from other shellfish oysters uh, that can kind of, you know, make up the difference a little bit. Um, but there are some companies where I think the number was like 85% of their business comes from um, Chinese exports right. of gooey duck. And that's just gooey duck. Just gooey duck. Yes. Yeah. Everything is so fragile. Uh, Mm-hmm. And interconnected, yeah. you know? Oh, my God. We got to get yeah. people to eat gooey duck on the East Coast. So get, last question. Have you seen any yeah. kind of grassroots efforts to help support businesses that um, are hurting right now? I have. Um, yes, actually, I just got an invite to a Facebook group, basically all about supporting businesses nice. in Chinatown, mm-hmm. which, have, you know, it needs to be mentioned all the time. But these the businesses in Chinatown have been dealing with impacts for uh, even longer right. um, mm-hmm. than businesses we talked about downtown. Um, they've been dealing with this issue since the first cases were announced, um, you know, back in January. Um, and unfortunately, that has to do with racial stigma. And so, you know, they're still trying to make up the difference and they're, you know, even further behind. Um, um, and I have also heard on social media that there's a push or at least a suggestion that, um, you know, people have heard this from a few chefs as well, that um, trying to encourage customers to buy uh, gift cards to mm-hmm. restaurants that offer them um, as sort of like, um, you know, IOU, you know, you could use them later if you're 
um, you know, adhering to social distancing guidelines. This might be a good way to um, help a restaurant that people like, you know, generate a little bit more revenue. That's cool. Um, the issue with that, though, is not every restaurant offers gift cards. Uh, that should be said. And a lot of, you know, the smaller restaurants don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've heard also that uh, many restaurants, especially in Chinatown, are uh, switching to more takeout orders. And so if uh, there's been sort of a grassroots effort on social media to kind of raise awareness of um, which restaurants are kind of switching gears a little bit. And so if customers can um, order takeout delivery, um, that's another way to kind of support these restaurants um, while still, uh, if there are still concerns about social distancing. Awesome. Well, thank you for this update and for all your reporting. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Next up on the show, we have Eater New York editor Serena Dye here to talk about the local impact on the New York restaurant scene of the coronavirus. Welcome, Serena. Thank you. So we've talked about this before on the show about how this was impacting local Chinatowns, but obviously now it's much more widespread. Do you have a sense of how the restaurant community at large is impacted right now? I think the biggest thing right now is people who are doing catering. Mm. Uh, So people doing events, events are being canceled. People are really nervous about that. Um, Also anyone doing corporate lunches. So a lot of offices are closing right now. And so if people aren't together, there's no reason to do corporate lunches. Um, But definitely right now, the hugest thing is events. Um, Hotel business has dramatically dropped because Mm. travel isn't happening Mm -hmm. as much. So that in turn is also impacting hotel restaurants because if most of the people who are staying there are not there, then your business is probably going to go down. Um, so that's definitely the biggest one. I think for regular walk-in, your neighborhood restaurant, um, people aren't seeing a ton of change yet. Um, that's good. Unless you're an Asian restaurant because mm. of xenophobia and this thing of assuming that every Asian person possibly has it, which is not true. Uh, but um, generally, it's not as crazy, I think there definitely is a downtick. Uh, Robbie DeRossi, who owns like 15 bars in the East Village and restaurants, uh, he said he saw over just over the weekend saw people canceling day of, just saying, mm. I don't know, I don't feel that great, or my friend doesn't feel that great, or we're nervous about it. And so it's less of things are crazy already and more of people are kind of scared. Um, no one has really been in this situation before. And so it's really hard to think, how do we prepare? There's not a playbook for this for restaurants as far as business goes, because it's not like... Um, with other huge events, you know, maybe people can rally and say, like, okay, well, still go out to your restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it becomes a personal health issue like this, it's really complicated. And there's just a lot of misinformation, a lot of fear surrounding it. And, and so people don't really know what to do. Yeah, that's so interesting because I remember when we've dealt with hurricanes here before, it's very clear cut in terms of who's affected, mm-hmm. the timing of it, and how to help. And now it's much more open and fluid. Yeah, yeah. And for something like a hurricane, too, insurance kind of picks up Mm -hmm, the slack. mm -hmm. Um, People have insurance for this very purpose. Uh, But something like this doesn't count as a business interruption. So Mm. people, no one can get their insurance Mm. unless the government was literally like, okay, this is a bad enough where we need to shut down all businesses. And then they could kick off insurance. But at this point, it's, I mean, what is even the possibility of that? No clue. Nobody has any idea. Right. 
And beyond that, um, you know, you hear these stories in China where delivery business is picking up. And within the Chinese communities in New York, that is already happening. Uh, restaurants like hot pot restaurants, which traditionally are not, th- in the U.S. at least, not thought of as delivery options, they are pumping things up and saying, okay, we need to get online. We need to do this delivery. But for some of these other restaurants, you know, they maybe don't want to do delivery. So Ravi is adding delivery at a couple places, but it takes at least a few weeks to get on Seamless or Grubhub. And so if you want to fix things right now, he, you, you that's not really an option. So mm-hmm. he has, um, he's like having someone just sit by the phone for this, these new places. But other places, you know, the fees are really high to yeah. get on those online platforms. And so some people don't want that as an option. And also you can't deliver alcohol. So if you have a bar and you are a little nervous about people not coming in, you can't really use that as an option. Right. I'm curious to see how this goes in New York because it's just such a social city. I, I think if you look at L.A. when people entertain more at home and have bigger houses in general, you compare it to New York where people are in small apartments, they go out all the time. It just I want to see if the, everyone will follow the rules if we do get to a point where they tell us to be distant from one another and to stay inside. Yeah, totally. I mean, people's kitchens are often quite small, and that's one reason we're a really big dining city. Um, A lot of New Yorkers tend to have an attitude of just like, well, it's going to be fine. Yeah, I'm going to be okay. (laughs) It's going to be good. Uh, Yeah, so people are still going out to eat. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so I I don't know. So I'm, I'm curious to see other ways that are playing out. I'm thinking about right now, like, what are things that we're missing? How are people being impacted? What are ways that we can make sure that things are properly covered? Um, businesses, mm-hmm. you know, they they can stop paying their employees by mm-hmm. like saying, "Hey, we don't, we're not open." They can stop ordering food, but they still have to like pay rent. And mm-hmm. if they just don't have that money, what's going to happen? Um, will they have to close? And if they have to close, are their landlords going to be chill about it and work out a deal, or are they not? And um, right now, it's just so unclear what like the government could do to help. This Mm -hmm. is obviously, I mean, the governor declared a state of emergency and it's not really clear what that means and what that could mean for all the various impacts on the economy um, that this is having already. One restaurateur was saying like, oh, maybe if they did declare an emergency and make it a lot, or if they did force us to close and make it easier, we can get insurance, it'll be fine. Or if maybe for a while, instead of collecting sales tax, we just keep the sales tax that we're charging people so that we have kind of a buffer um, once we get back on our feet. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, you see in New Rochelle, they're setting up a containment zone, and you could see them doing that here. If they picked a neighborhood, they could say East Village is now a containment zone. Yeah, yeah. And that That would, would definitely shut everybody down. Shut everyone down, yeah. Not to fear monger, but, no. you know, <laughs> just to be mentally prepared for anything. Yeah. I don't know. It's this weird thing because we're trying to cover it accurately and cover people's concerns accurately, but not fear monger yeah, and not really say like, don't freak out. Well, thank you for keeping an eye on all of this. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you, Serena. We will be back with stories after these messages. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. 
Real Traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Amanda, we have reached the time in the show where we talk about our favorite stories of the week. We separate them with the ding noise. It sounds like this. Uh, let's hop right in. Amanda, this is a cute, uh, light, fun story. It's a little bit, you know... But it's just, it's just, it is what it is. You know, it's a light story uh-huh. and we're just going to talk Don't about it. Don't undersell it. I'm not underselling it. So the Hofbrau House in Munich, um, probably the the single most visited. I mean, I don't know. It, I don't know these things, but to me, it's the most famous beer hall in the world. Mm-hmm. If you're backpacking, you know, around Europe, I promise that you're going to make a stop here. Have a few steins with your friends. Now, depending on how drunk you get, you're going to be did like... Man, did you backpack around Europe? Yeah. Depending yeah. on how drunk, you're going to be like, this is going to... Like, we're always going to remember this trip, you know? Uh-huh. And then... Uh, uh-huh. One of the most notable things about the Hofbrauhaus is that they have these huge steins for beer. Like, huge. Um, and uh, a woman named Celeste, 55 years ago... Okay, mm-hmm. when she was young and reckless and inconsiderate, stole a mug, a Stein, and then her and her husband were cleaning out her apartment and uh, found the Stein, felt guilty, and then mailed it back to them. And the Hofbrauhaus was ecstatic. Wow. Yeah. Um, is it like a collector's item mug? It is. I don't know how. Maybe just that vintage. I don't know how pretty, valuable it is now. Pretty rare. I mean, it's got to be. It looks like so. Now they're glass, right? This one's like metal, not, porcelain. I don't know. Cool. Yeah, uh, who knows how real this is? But they claimed that at Oktoberfest last year, they prevented people from stealing a hundred thousand beer mugs. Whoa! Of people just trying how to walk out with their them? mug. I mean, just I like think, searching purses and stuff. Yeah, and I, I think most of those was probably just drunk people drunk walking people out with the mug. Didn't notice they were holding onto it. I don't you know, know if anyone has done 100,000 to anything, so no. that's, well, t- that's it tough. Well, on the scale of the festival. But the point is, is I'm guessing that this is a major, uh, it's something that comes up in board meetings at the Hofbrauhaus. Yeah, like, like hey, oh, we're losing $10,000 so a much month money on mugs. In mugs, yeah. You know right. what's funny to me is that it is not socially acceptable to walk out on a check yeah. and to not pay, yet people find it kind of cute. When they say like, "Oh yeah, my grandmother always steals pepper mills from restaurants," <laughs> or like, "So and so has this collection of knives that they've so, from the restaurants they've dined at yeah, around the so world." Funny. It's like that's so fucked up because it's really expensive. Yeah, especially cutlery. Oh uh, my god, the knives! So if you ask anyone knives. who works in restaurants, they'll have stories about people stealing stuff and the ways in which they've tried to gracefully or not so gracefully. I've seen call it. them people out. like. Oh, oh, call them out. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying the ways that people steal it are like not. They think people are think they're so much more smooth than they are. Like slowly wrap the knife in their napkin yeah, and yeah. Then like put. It. It's like everyone, if you're paying, no one's watching you. That's why no one caught you. If anyone was watching you, they would be like, "Why'd you wrap your knife in your napkin and yeah. then put it in your purse?" Yeah, yeah. All right, you think you're like James Bond. I here? used to have a feature on Eater called "Shit People Steal" and have restaurateurs write in with all of the stories. Yeah. And they're 
insane. It's knives, <laughs> it's spoons, anything that's not bolted down in a bathroom or some things that are bolted down. Like people have taken out like picture frames. I mean, there's something paper. there's the impulse to, you know, stick it to the man is it drives people to but do some of these silly. It's not just that. It's also like they want this collector's item. They want this. Take a matchbox. Mem- piece of memorabilia. You know what I find? I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to inject this with a tinge of cynicism, but I, I, I know you will see this. You go to trendy New York restaurants, mm-hmm. and they'll have fancy, fancy soap in the bathroom. Uh-huh. Beautiful bathrooms. Yeah. You know, elegant floral arrangements. But then the soap is in prison. It's bolted down. Oh yeah, because people will steal it. Because people steal the uh-huh. Aesop. The vibe is killed a little bit. You know, when it's when it's uh, screwed I into the wall. I, no, I'm just like, oh, these guys are smart. Whenever I see the Aesop not bolted down, I'll usually ask the general manager, be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Someone's going to take that. Yeah. What kind of operation are you running here? <laughs> they give you bolts with the Aesop. It's they part of the, do? Yeah, it's part of the contract. Oh, they the restaurant it. contract. Yeah, they provide, Aesop provides yeah. the bolts <laughs> to keep their products safe. Why is it, 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 it is much cuter when it's like a grandma or something, because like if you have a friend who's doing, if you... Yeah. If, yeah. If, if you came over to my house and I'm like, look at all these knives I've stolen, you'd be like, not cool. Right. But I would. But I expect that you had like a. You did some weird shit in no. your teens. Nothing. No. Nothing no. like that. Uh-uh. You don't have. That's not why you've waged war against the <laughs> knife thieves of the world because no. come, you just have walls and walls of stolen steak I, knives. I mean, I, I guess that'd be cool, but no. It wouldn't be cool. No, it'd be cool. It'd be like, wow, she's got some. I mean, yeah, it was, it'd be cool to have like a weird secret. what like depends but you know what now all these restaurants have these cool pens with their logo on it yeah that they're pretty much asking you to take how do you feel about matchbox people like when you go to like a trendy or like whatever restaurant you go with a friend who's like i'm gonna grab matchbox i always i always take one Well, I mean, I've taken matchboxes before. I know, but the impulse to have a matchbox from every dining experience. No, no, no. I'm not collecting them, but it's nice to have them around when you need to light a candle. Nothing is more elegant than when you go to someone's house and they have a nice candle with like a matchbox from Keen Steakhouse or Lake Cuckoo <laughs> or whatever. That's yeah. cool. The pens, though. The pens I love. Anyway, but uh, so so Hofbrau House uh, was really pumped. Glad there's a happy ending here. Yeah. They were like, they sent her a new mug. Wow, They sent really? her one of, what? yeah, today's new mug, yeah. But they were like, in the, they were like, don't get any ideas. You know, I mean, but there is an idea. If you want to steal a mug now and send it back to them 60 years from now, it'll be cute. But is that worth it to you? I don't personally understand the impulse. Like, if they sell the Hofbrau House mug for mm. 13 euro mm-hmm. or steal it, like, I would I would just pay the 13. Like, I, it's, it's not cooler to me. To have a stolen, well, I, well, yeah, I don't know, but like, so is. I have, uh, <laughs> I have in my apartment. I don't know if you know this, but I have, um, I have golden arches. You I have mentioned a big, it on the yeah, show, actually. Yes, McDonald's sign, <laughs> uh-huh. McDonald's, and everyone is always like, "Oh, dude, how'd you get those?" And <laughs> like, I'm like, "Well, I, I bought obviously them bought it from an antique show," and they're like, "Wow, well, all right, you know," and it's like significantly different. Yeah. But you know what, McDonald's. Uh, Fuck them, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's different. Also, the Hofbrau... Did they make the move with you to the new apartment? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're up in the bathroom now. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, they made the move. Um, I kind of want to get them refurbished. But, you know, sure. take them to a refurbishing 
place. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought I would have more on that. But um, so, you know Anyway, what? Grandma, it's not cool. Don't steal the mugs. I don't think she seems... She doesn't seem like someone Other who has grandmas. a lot of... Oh. Yeah. Amanda, fun story time. Fun uh, story time. Based on the movie Parasite. Very, very Saw famous it. Loved food it. dish in the movie. We yep. have Luke Fortney here, reporter for Eater New York, to tell us uh, how New York restaurants have squeezed some money out of this Oscar-winning movie. Got to capitalize. Luke, yeah. welcome. Hey there. All right, so Luke, let's start with the with the scene in the movie. Uh, could you could you describe this this food scene that has now become quite famous? Yep. So basically, this is the scene where you have the Kim family, and um, they are the family that's kind of infiltrating the wealthy Park family's home, and they get this call, um, and it's like, hey, can you make this? dish, japaguri. But when you read the English subtitles, the word that they use to describe this Korean dish is ramdan, which was basically just invented by the English translator for the film Mm -hmm. Um, and is kind of a smushing together of ramen and udon, which they thought that um, people who speak English in America would uh, understand that. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I get yeah, what yeah. I, I read that. I was like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Instant noodles. It, it does feel like a very um, vivid food scene. Mm-hmm. You know, as someone that works in food video content, I was like, this looks good. Like, they made these noodles look really good. Mm-hmm. And especially because the moment they do it is amidst this chaos and it feels a lot of anxiety. Yeah. You're not sure if the this family's going to get caught. And then they cut the, the some beautiful beef that's cut up elegantly. Watching it, you're like, wow, I've, I'm a mess right now, but I would eat the shit out of that mm-hmm. dish that she's cooking. Were some restaurants already serving it? I'm sure that some restaurants were already serving it. But I think what was new is that the restaurants serving it now were not. Mm-hmm. The, and, and what we're seeing is that this, like, kind of upscale Korean restaurant is now starting to advertise it. Many of which basically over the phone had told me we could never have served something like this at our restaurant and they're before using this movie. Instant noodles? Some of them are using instant noodles. Uh, this is where it kind of gets tricky because a lot of them are making their own homemade noodles. Uh, basically under the assumption that New Yorkers, specifically non-Korean New Yorkers, wouldn't want to eat a dish made out of instant noodles. Huh. Hmm. But even in the movie, as I said, they were they're cutting up nice beef, which would not typically be part of it. So mm-hmm. in the movie itself, they are, um, you know, we avoid the word elevating it, but they mm-hmm. are they are elevating the dish from just convenience store packs. Yeah, and that's another part of this puzzle too, which is that the japaguri that folks are seeing on screen in Parasite is not really how the dish is made. You know, mm-hmm. it's the two instant noodles flavor packets, and water, and that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. But for folks who are seeing this dish for the first time, they're like, oh, this is a dish that consists of noodles that, you know, as you said, look very fancy and shiny, and they have the noodle pulled down, (laughs) topped with really expensive, you know, prime-grade sirloin. Um, So that's like most of, of like, you know, non-Korean Americans' first time seeing this. And so when they go to a Korean restaurant, that's what they want. Right. And Korean restaurants are aware of that. You know, they're like, okay, if I just serve instant noodles and flavor packets. That's not going to fly. Yeah. Right. So who are, who are some of the restaurants that are doing it? And, and are they telling you that they're doing like crazy numbers selling this dish? 
So pretty much everyone that I talked to for this story <laughs> has said that they are selling out of this dish almost every time that they offer it. Yeah. Um, you know, for a lot of them, it started as a maybe Valentine's Day special mm-hmm. or a weekend special um, and has pretty quickly grown into a, you know, semi-permanent staple on their menu. Yeah. Um, so for this story, I talked with Coat, the Michelin-starred Korean restaurant. I talked with Zusik, uh, San Juan Gardens, um, and also the folks over at Moke Bar in Brooklyn. Um, and across the board, it was like I have people coming into this restaurant who, you know, like me, can't pronounce Japaguri, but will come in and hold up their phone and be oh like, <laughs> I want this thing. Yeah. Um, or they'll say, I want the parasite dish. Right. Jesus. Um, <laughs> and you do have some, according to the folks that I've talked to, you do have some Korean New Yorkers who are coming and wanting to try this dish. But to a large degree, <laughs> it is just kind of white New Yorkers who have seen parasite. Yeah. Because they all had that moment like me where they were like, boy, mm, that looks real good. Yum. That looks good. I, I do feel like it's a, it's a cool way – yeah, and maybe I'm just as basic as everyone else, but I do feel like it's a cool way to show your support for the movie um, and and feel like you're in on the game a little bit. And now I feel like the movie has been seen an infinite amount by everyone, so it's like you're less of an insider. But at least, you know, before it won the Oscar, it was like, yeah, I've seen the movie. I'll take that. I know what that is. You know? Mm, yeah. Mm. Well, and mostly a smart way for these restaurateurs to capitalize on right. this trend. Mm. But I think, I mean, from talking to people, I feel like initially the 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 motive the motivation behind it was to show their support for the movie a little bit. Like it it, it was to um, to bridge themselves with the Korean film scene, which was obviously hugely prominent. And then it became a huge financial success. Yeah, I would say, so I went into this story expecting that it would kind of be like, I can sell this $2 noodle dish for $20 and people will buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like full stop there. As I started to talk to people, there's an immense amount of pride that goes into developing a dish like this where there's not really a fixed recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see at each of these different restaurants, you could eat all of the different versions of Japaguri or Ramdan. And they all look different. Um, But at the heart of every single one, there's a story of someone staying up all through the night after the Oscars doing recipe testing. (laughs) Or, you know, a chef in the restaurant's kitchen proposed a version of this dish and there was sort of a debate about whether you could serve it. Um, But it really is like, for a lot of people, um, a really exciting moment where you get to bring this kind of household staple um, two menus in a way that a lot of a lot of non-Korean New Yorkers are finally enjoying. Were chefs excited to be selling a lot of this dish, or are they like, I hate that I'm doing this because it's just a silly phenomenon that I'm catching catching in on? Yeah, so I definitely thought there was going to be a lot of that, and mm-hmm. maybe that's my own reporting because I would call people up and be like, How much do you hate this? <laughs> <laughs> How many Ramdans have you been selling? Right. And you know, they'd be like, Who is this? Um, always the response when you call someone (laughs) eat or what Um, there was a small amount of pushback from folks who were just saying that their staff was getting kind of tired because um, you know it's like these restaurants are pretty buzzy Mm -hmm. as is but Parasite just takes that to a whole different degree that a lot of them I don't think are used to 
And so you have this surge around the holidays or around late night menus when this dish is offered. And a lot of them are just like, I feel like we need to give our staff a break <laughs> because it is so exhausting <laughs> wow. to produce like 50 Ramdans in a single evening. Yeah. Um, maybe in like two or three hours. I actually think this story is an absolute win for everyone. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of these people, I mean, even the day after Parasite won, we have uh, a couple of Koreans on staff. And it was like, a, people came in glowing. Like it was a wonderful moment for a lot of Korean Americans. And this is a cool way of showing support and making money. And the dish is delicious. And you can put something like truffles or filet mignon on, spin on, on it. it because and it, it's not because a, it's not a real thing. Classic thing. Yeah. Okay, so Daniel, there's been a trend that we've noticed on Eater for a little while of high-end apartment buildings setting up restaurants, yeah. like exclusive restaurants that only you as a resident can get access to. And it seems, according to a recent New York Times piece, that the trend is growing worldwide. So we've seen this in New York at Hudson Yards, but there's a new development in Dubai where the chefs Heston Blumenthal and Ashley Palmer Watts, who is his right-hand man, they're going to be like the in-house chefs and you can order room service from the restaurants. They're going to be there? I don't think they're actually yeah. going to be there. They're like setting up the restaurants. Um, hold on. <laughs> It says, celebrity chefs and famous restaurants like Mr. Blumenthal's are the latest front in the endless battle to lure property buyers and renters, a competition that has moved well beyond offering amenities such as concierges, pet spas, and yoga studios. Yeah. Canary Islands, Dubai, New York City, they're getting like Blumenthal and Wolfgang Puck and a bunch of other people to be in these buildings and give them not just, it's not just about having the fancy restaurant in your building, it's about exclusively having it so no one else can access it. Yeah. It's like a, it's a clubhouse. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> in terms of like bringing in celebrity chefs to do these things, pin this to our classic conversation of as food becomes one of these like fl ways to flash your mm -hmm. your wealth and, and luxury and like these trendy chefs become relevant to the billionaires of the world. It's like their world dipping into our world. Well, it's interesting because we've seen this with developers across the country with food halls. Yeah. So whenever there's commercial space in the bottom floor, they want to bring in a food hall. Yeah. And I like seeing it on the total opposite end of the spectrum where it's like, let's just get the most expensive chef in the world. Yeah. And have this exclusive stupid thing. <laughs> and it's a fun new revenue opportunity yeah. for that select group of celebrity, celebrity chefs. Yeah. It's not something that we're excited about them focusing on. It's no. just I've had a fair amount of conversations about this. I've talked to a guy who ran one of these for a long time, mm -hmm. and he was like, dude, it was so chill. I worked like eight hours a day, <laughs> and I had weekends off, mm -hmm. but it was soul-sucking. Like, It's not creatively stimulating at no. all. <laughs> You've like, just sold out in such a very literal way that you're making food for the ultra wealthy when they're in town because I'm sure a lot of these are pied -a Yeah. Here's another really cool conversation I had. Um, I was talking to a, a very notable chef. I was talking to his right-hand man mm -hmm. and they were saying that he had like gone and met some some Saudi business developers or whatever and because like this guy had such notable command, was such mm -hmm. a presence mm -hmm. and then I heard that it was like him 
and like three other of our most famous chefs, like basically in a lineup meeting some developer who just didn't give a fuck about them. <laughs> who was just like, oh, I don't want him. No, let's do him or whatever. And it was just like these people it's who like have John reached. John George has the best shoes. He gets <laughs> right, to come. Right. But these people who have reached the absolute pinnacle of this one world are just like playthings of another world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you're still you still end up being like to their minds the help. Yeah, yeah. You're still it's like you're still like to us it's like, whoa, chefs, they're awesome. They have podcasts and like, <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't give a fuck. There's another building in this story in mm. Brooklyn. It's called four seventy five Claremont, and they have what they're calling the world's first live in chef program. So the chefs Yeah. Uh, Bronwyn Kinsler Britton is one, and her culinary partner, Meryl Feinstein. I guess they both live in the building and they have dinner parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the tenants says, I thought, how cool, because my husband and I are real foodies. Oh, yeah, they are. And these two chefs have worked at Lilia and Missy. So this tenant says, they are two of our favorite restaurants, but it's really <laughs> hard to get reservations. So it's pretty amazing to have two of their chefs cooking right here in the building. Yeah. Jesus. So this tenant attended a 10-person supper club and wine pairing at the one-bedroom apartment that these chefs have, uh, and she wants to have them host a dinner party at her apartment. I'm sure she does. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? The developer Mm -hmm. says this... Uh, that experiential programming is the next evolution of amenities. I mean, frankly, I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I, I Listen, get it. I get you want to lure people into the building. I think what's silly about this is like I don't give a shit that they live there. I mean, good for them for scoring a for scoring a right. Room. But like, what difference does it make? Yeah, like how often are you're not going to be able to call like. How far is this from being like, and if you sign up now, you'll be friends with the former chef of Missy, (laughs) of Lilia, you know, like it's- You can knock on their door. You can knock on their door whenever you want. Like they'll, right? Like (laughs) they'll send you cookies when you're sick. So I, I, I hadn't even thought about this, but like, I think one of the things that we're learning right now is people, I mean, we've been learning this, but people love, there's nothing better than a food event. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when you go to a place where there's a cool chef and they're doing something slightly different, people walk around, try things, drink wine. Yeah, great event. Don't I don't need that person to live, frankly, anywhere near me. Yeah, I don't care if they come from like Zimbabwe. The feeling of special access and like having sure. this special thing that no one else has that you have the exclusive right access to this cool chef who lives in your apartment building and can be there to like. <laughs> Cook do you think for in their you like and do wine pairings right. and whatnot? Do you think in their like promotional material they're like, don't talk about the fact that they're paid to be here. Like <laughs> just treat them as normal friends. Yeah, they're just your buds. <laughs> I mean, that's so wild. I mean, look at these chefs too. They look like very cool. Yeah, I mean, clearly they cool chose Brooklyn ladies. They chose cool Brooklyn ladies. But like this is so. It's just. It's just so artif- There's something so artificial about it. I don't it. understand. Do they live together in the same one bedroom? Are they a couple, or are they work partners? So much going on here. Yeah. What if they are a couple and they break up? Then what? <laughs> then what? Yeah. It's like one of them starts dating someone new, and they're like, "Well, does she, does she cook? Because um, <laughs> we that's gave part you this. Of the contract. Yeah, you need to keep throwing dinner parties." Uh, you but, know, also here in New York, you know that restaurant Crown Shy? Yeah. 
uh, part of a fancy development, big fancy building here, the chef there gets an apartment in the building as part of the deal. Like he lives right upstairs. You know what? They needed to lure a cool restaurant down to Fidei. Right. And with and, that, and, they're not pitching him as an amenity to right. the other residents. Exactly. It's that he no, no. has this restaurant. But his restaurant brings that building credibility. Oh, yeah. Big time. Without having it be a weird thing where people show off how close they live. Oh, yeah. I live right next door. I live from, next from to Chef some, and he does wine pairing advice for me. Chef. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can you imagine, like, how how far are we off from, like, Oh, and you'll live right next to like Amy Greenbaum. She's a florist, and like whenever maybe you should use this to get a discount on your next apartment. <laughs> what am I going to give people? Say you're a culinary expert. Yeah, and they and just... that you can give advice. Or like, yeah, they can just walk in and talk restaurants whenever they <laughs> yeah. want with like Dan Janine and sixteen like, e. Restaurant advice? You want some this tips? is so insane. <laughs> this is so insane. It's just offering like this fake personal relationship with someone that's being paid to be there. It's just it's it's pay per play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's an amenity. Do you think residents in the building are like, hey, you going to the Feinsteins tomorrow night? Or like, hey, are you going to that thing that that is an amenity, that fun dinner party that is an amenity that we paid for? Mm-hmm. Because I like, wonder if they charge to go to the events, too, or if that's included in the rent. Or maybe you get it's a, uh, maybe it's a voucher it. or like mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. you get. One, one per a year. year. <laughs> yeah. And one one time a year they'll drop. Do you by think and someone on the hi. board of the building is like, "Can I just get a Peloton?" <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, put that in the gym for me. Thanks. But you know what's a really useful thing in a in an apartment building when you see when there's someone who lives on your floor, who is physically active and like ripped, mm-hmm. and then you like walk by them, and then it inspires you to go to the gym. That's an amenity. That's a new amenity. <laughs> just someone who lingers by the elevator, keeps pretending to get live in, and be in like, live dude, in you trainer. go to the gym? Hell yeah, dude. Live in but trainer. live in trainer. At live least the chefs, relationship between the trainer and the trainee is not it is not financially blurred at all. I feel like it's pretty clear that these chefs are an amenity. That you're not friends with them. But where does that end? I don't know. Hey, can I see your bedroom? I'd love to see what another one of these units <laughs> look like. Think, and they're like, the um, it's the that's same just as the for trainer. like our friends. Like you're friends. No, but- it's the same as the trainer. But well, like, you think they're pitching the friendship oh, of it, here's the and major I question. think they're pitching just the cool food But you go element. to their apartment for these dinner parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have dinner parties in their apartment. And yeah. I think maybe you can rent them out for your apartment. You can rent them out. <laughs> but, like, it's if it's in a communal space, mm-hmm. that's fine. The second you, you they, go to their apartment. The line is that, the, yeah, they are there, and it's in their apartment. Yeah. It's in there, like, you you don't go, the second you go into where someone actually lives, where someone actually does mm-hmm. real things and is not a space yeah. they have created for business, mm-hmm. then it becomes weird and people start believing they're closer friends <laughs> with someone than they actually are. Okay. You know, I have so many people in my life that I think I'm kind of friends with, and I know that's just because my lines have blurred because I'm delusional. <laughs> and I don't wish that on others. Fair. Thanks so much for listening to Eater's Digest. Um, I had some, I had some fun. You know, we talked some, talked some smack, got through some issues, some heavy, some light, and uh, we're out the other side. Big thank you to Gabe Guarente of Eater Seattle, Serena Dye of Eater New York, Megan McCarran, our special correspondent who roams the globe for us. Thank you to you, Daniel. Oh, thank you to you for being here and for being you. Great. You know? Catch you next week.
first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, mom. No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.